0: So before we start this episode, we have a giveaway. If you listen to episode 11 with Micah Caswell, we interviewed him to talk about his book about Thomas Patient, the First Baptist in Ireland, and we have been given a copy to give away to listeners. So if you either retweet this podcast posting for the Twitter account at History and Hope or Matthew is going to share it on his Facebook page, and if you reshare that, either one of those will be an entry and we're going to do a random drawing to select a winner to send a copy of the book to. Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, the history podcast from a Baptist perspective. I'm Mark West.
1: I'm Matthew Lyon.
0: And today we are talking about the Lord's Supper, continuing our series on Baptist distinctives.
1: I was looking at the website. It looks like we've taken a break. Let's see if I can pull it up again. For an Yes, Yeah, it's the coronavirus. Was, I think coronavirus was our last episode and the reason for a lot of our uh, for taking breaks. Yeah, April 7th.
0: It's the last last episode i just looked up ministry in time of
1: corona or something Mr. ministry during oh, the right. coronavirus and then black history month before that so december whoa Baptist thing was part four baptism was december 21st 2019 been a while we are uh, not being very faithful with our podcast
0: it's been the entire uh lifetime of my son since we've talked about baptist distinctive
1: that is true <laughs> So we are, so now it's our turn to have a baby. So if I leave mid podcast, it's because she's going into labor. So it could be today. It could be a week from now. Though so if it's a week from now, my wife would be very unhappy. I was going to say, it's past it's, it's, her due date. Yeah, I was going to say, it's
0: been in that state
1: a for a while. Yeah. So. <laughs> so we uh, we should have a baby by the next time we have a podcast. Hopefully.
0: Seven more months. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's cool. uh, All right, so two ordinances is the distinctive. And then we divide those separately because the ordinances are so important. Baptism being maybe one of the most important. Uh, and then the second ordinance being Lord's Supper. And I don't know if I can't remember anything about the last episode. We probably talked about ordinances, but it would be helpful to review them, what the word means. I I made the mistake of being at a independent Baptist meeting doing a panel of some sort. And I said the word sacrament instead of ordinance and didn't go over very well. Shocked silence. So I can imagine we, we actually yeah, be careful how we say it. Uh, we use the word ordinance, which is not a distinctively Baptist thing, but Baptists tend to use it more than anyone uh, referring to the commands that Jesus gave to the church. Perpetual commands. So he gave a lot of commands in general, but two ceremonial commands, two rituals that he commanded us to perform were the ritual of baptism and then the ritual of the Lord's Supper. And I say ritual specifically because it's a religious ceremony that we do the same way, uh, year after year. So their are ordinances because they're commands from Christ to the whole church to perform a certain ceremony. Now, to be honest, there are some Baptists who believe in a third ordinance, foot washing. Uh, free will Baptists, I believe. So, two ordinances is not entirely correct. But except for those free will Baptists, it's mostly correct. I guess the bigger thing is we um, we only have two ordinances, maybe three ordinances, as opposed to, I think, seven ordinances. Of the catholic church i think they have uh i think they have seven so marriage first rites last rites lord's supper baptism ordination consecrate what what do they call it when a child gets old enough confirmation right confirmation i think confirmation is another one confession so they have all these sacraments ordinances uh baptists only have two uh, three if you're a free will and then I didn't read check up on this, but I think Lutherans believe that confession is a sacrament or a an ordinance. I'm not sure. So Baptists only have two, maybe three, but distinct from Catholics and Lutherans, we don't include other things. And the the word sacrament, when the Catholics use it, they mean one thing. But the word itself is not a bad word. It literally means an oath. So the Roman soldiers in Latin would take a, I think, a sacramentum, which was their oath to serve in the army. And so when I use the word sacrament and when Protestants use it. We mean more of an oath that you're taking an, a, a ceremony where you swear allegiance to somebody, namely the Lord. So I think we understand it easily in baptism, you're sort of. Baptized into Christ, you identify with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. There's the oath that you're swearing to follow Christ. But I think the Lord's Supper is the same thing. And this is a traditional Baptist view, though I suppose it's not every Baptist. It's that when you take the Lord's Supper, you're taking an ongoing oath to do what you said you would do in baptism, which was follow Christ, uh, with the church. So, but the distinctly Baptist view, is different from the Catholics. The Catholics believe that the Lord's Supper, in the act, when they pronounce the words, becomes the actual body of Christ. So that when you eat that bread, you are literally consuming Christ's body. And they would say, let's see if I can remember how they say it, the accidents of the bread stay the same, but the nature changes. Is that right?
0: That sounds right.
1: Yeah, so they, they divide up the essence of a, of a object into two parts. The part you can observe, like, you know, the, the colors yeah. and the texture. And then the essence of it. So that when we identify bread, we identify by its color, by its taste, by its texture. They would say that ch- stays the same, but some sort of essence. Do you have it there? I'm looking it up. Okay. That becomes the body of Christ. So it looks the same, but it's not.
0: The Eucharistic species remains unaltered.
1: (laughs) Okay. So that's transubstantiation. That's transubstantiation. And the word Eucharist is another, more of a Catholic term, but it refers to the prayer that Jesus gave uh, when he blessed the Lord's Supper. So I guess we go back to the beginning. In the Bible, the last day of Jesus' life before he was killed, he had a supper with his his disciples um, where they celebrated the supper the Passover supper. And at the end of it, he introduces a new ritual different from the Passover in which they take the bread. He says, break this bread, drink this cup fruit of the vine. doesn't say wine. Notably, he just says fruit of the vine. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So it was a ceremony given. And that's why it's called the Lord's supper because he's the one who instituted it, partook in it the first time. Uh, and then he, uh, told the church to continue that pattern so we call it the lord's supper he instituted it. he set the rules catholics believe that that bread when jesus said this is my body they take that very literally the the worst thing about that i think is that it means that every lord's supper that the catholics take they are re-sacrificing christ's body like they would say there's an altar there's a priest and there's a sacrifice which is christ's body and so they reoffer the sacrifice every every week which is gruesome in one sense but it's also strictly anti-biblical because the book of hebrews the whole point of the book of hebrews was christ was sacrificed once once for all no more sacrifice so the catholics deliberately go against the teaching of the bible that says there's no need for another sacrifice so that's probably transubstantiation it also doesn't make sense and that's what someone like luther said like this is this doesn't even make sense um it looks like bread tastes like bread smells like bread it's bread it's not something else
0: he still took when it said this is my body Mm -hmm. more literally than baptists do
1: yeah so at that time zwingli would have been sort of the what kind of like a baptist and he and luther luther wouldn't shake his hand they had a big debate about the Lord's Supper, Zwingli said it was just a memorial; you just remembered. Luther said, "No, you—it's not physically Christ's body; it's spiritually Christ's body." And they wouldn't agree. And the end, Luther said, "I can't—I can't give you the right hand of fellowship as a brother." So wow. Luther took it pretty seriously. He wouldn't—he refused to shake his hand as a sign that if you didn't believe it, it was literally Christ's body spiritually, you weren't a believer. Luther was very extreme in a lot of ways. Uh, but, yeah, so Lu- the Lutheran view is that it's physically bread, but Christ is spiritually present in the bread. And I think they call that um,
0: consubstantiation.
1: Consubstantiation. So he's, he's not, there's a change, he's just with it.
0: Yeah, the uh, metaphor or analogy that I read about that was like, if you think of a sponge in water, if the bread is the sponge. Oh, Okay. It's like it doesn't transfer or it doesn't change form when it absorbs water, but it's not right. the same as just a sponge.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. So Zwingli, Zwingli would say it's nothing more than a mem- memory, a memorial. Calvin kind of took a middle of the road. So Calvin would say you are so Christ is there, not in the elements, but in sort of. There's a spiritual connection. He's present. I, I, if I remember correctly, he basically says the Holy Spirit takes you to heaven to be with Jesus in the act of the Lord's Supper, which is not as bad. I, I don't think I can quite go that far, but he he, he understands that Jesus' is in heaven and that his spirit is not present in the bread, but yet when you take the Lord's Supper, you're united with Christ in a special way. Uh, so Baptist, Traditionally, Baptists have used it simply as a memorial. It's simply a, simply a ceremony where you remember Christ's death, distinct from those other views. But that doesn't remove, and this is a little bit of a debate, do Baptists believe in the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper? And does that make them Lutheran or Catholic or something like that? So that's, I would say, is a debate. I think Baptists do believe in the real presence, not in the same way, but... In the se- so in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Now, none of us would say, well, when you're not two or three, Jesus is gone. Like he's not with you until two or three you get there. And then Jesus shows up. Obviously, because he, he says, what, 10 chapters later, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So that must mean that when two or three are gathered in, in, in sort of a church service. That Christ is with them in a different way than when he is with us individually. So we're two or three are together. There I am in the midst of them. Sort of, he's with us individually, but then when we get together, he's there in a, in a different way. And we don't, I don't think we need to distinguish or determine how he's with us, but it's special. So I think when we take the Lord's Supper, is Christ present? I think he is. Uh, not that he wasn't before or that he's only present when we take the Lord's supper or that he's present with the bread. But it is a way to con to experience the presence of Christ differently. Um, so Christ is present in a special way. Um, but not in a magical way or a, he's not tied to the elements sort of like if you took the elements outside the bread and the, the juice outside, he's out there now. Like, it's not that. I think it's more of when the church gathers to take the Lord's Supper, Christ is present with us in a special way. And I don't think we need to be more specific than that. I think that Baptists have never really taken a firm position on one one way or the other. So it but I think it's and I and and some Baptists merely believe it's a memorial. It's simply just remembering and one of my professors said that most of the debates are what happened over the Lord's Supper or what happens when you're taking the Lord's Supper. And he said, really, the point of the Lord's Supper is not to figure out what's happening when you're taking it. It's to remember what happened in the beginning. And I think he had a point there. Uh, it's more about what Christ did for us, not so much the details of where Christ is, where he isn't. Uh, so it's looking back to remember what Christ did with us. So it's, it, I think what we say at our church is, It's it's a reenactment of the gospel. So just like we speak the gospel and we say what Christ has done when we take the Lord's supper, we're reenacting the the gospel. Which I think I think we agree it should be every week.
0: That would be my preference.
1: Yeah. So we don't. We I think we have a quarterly now, first or uh, monthly first month first Sunday of the month. Uh, But it seems like they broke bread when they met. And I think the breaking bread refers to the Lord's Supper.
0: Yeah. Plus every other means of grace, we would do it. We wouldn't limit on time.
1: Right. Singing, preaching, praying. Baptisms. Baptism. We do them as often as we do them every week if we could. Yeah. Um, Unless you're in California. And you're not allowed to sing in California.
0: Right. I did one because of the current... Because of coronavirus, yeah. I mean, well, I think in I think most places recommend it at least against singing.
1: California actually banned it. Uh, it didn't stop any of the fundamentalist churches, <laughs> uh, but that's for a different podcast.
0: But yeah, I think I think the um, with the rationing of the Lord's Supper mm. <laughs> is a reaction to something else, and not trying not necessarily right. strictly trying to follow a biblical model.
1: Yeah. So the argument being. If you take it too often, it's not special anymore. Uh, no biblical precedent for that. The, the Bible doesn't require, it says, do as, as often as you do it. So yeah. There's no biblical requirement for how often. But I would say, if breaking bread in the New Testament equals the Lord's Supper, which many of the Baptist confessions equate those things, they broke it every time they were together. And the so it seems like the pattern is, every time you meet, you have the Lord's Supper. And the reason is... The Lord's Supper supper proclaims the gospel. Why are we saved? Because Christ died for us. His body was broken for us. That's what Jesus said. My body broken for you. His blood shed for us. So when you break the bread and you take the juice, you are acting out the gospel. You're proclaiming the gospel. And then when you take it all together in the presence, you're proclaiming what the gospel does for us, which unites us in Christ. So it's. Why limit it to once a month or worse a quarter or even worse? Some people do it once a year like such a powerful gospel symbol. That proclaims the gospel in a very special way and unites the people together around the gospel. Why would you limit that? Why not do it every time you meet, which seems to be what the New Testament is saying. Now, but Baptists haven't. I would say the, the majority of historic Baptists throughout the centuries have leaned towards more frequent. The modern Baptist probably not so much. Uh, So it is a reenactment of the gospel. And that's why it's so important because it reminds us of why we exist. So baptism and the Lord's Supper, those are, that's the core of the church. You're buried with Christ. You're raised with Christ. You're done. You do that with the God's people. Lord's Supper, the same thing, body broken, bloodshed. We consume it as sort of unite. We ingest his body. Jesus said, you eat my body and drink my blood. We unite with him in sort of a elemental way. That's what the church is. A bunch of Christians getting together, united in Christ to proclaim the gospel. That's the definition of a true church where the gospel is rightly preached and the ordinances are rightly practiced. So I think the modern Baptists have been so afraid of the Catholics that we've downplayed the Lord's Supper to this sort of weird ritual that we do occasionally. It's always done the same way. It's very somber. It's very heads bowed, eyes closed. Make sure there's no sin in your heart or you'll die. Individualistic. Uh, very individualistic. very Almost like a funeral. Mm-hmm. Very, very much a funeral aspect to it. And we, we have to be careful not to put too much weight on it or suddenly we've gone over to the Catholic Mass. Uh, and I think in general, anytime you create something in the church as a reaction to the Catholic mass or Catholics or any other theology. It's just, it's a terrible way to do church. It's a terrible way to form formulate things better to say, what's the Bible say? And how can this affirm our faith? So having it every week and making it a big deal, will do nothing more than proclaim the death of Christ more often, knowing that Christ is with us in a special way to sort of spiritually feed us. So uh, you mentioned the the means of grace. I don't know if we've talked about this before. Baptists don't generally generally use that phraseology, means of grace, though we should. It simply means God's grace comes to us in a certain way. All Baptists would would say, traditionally, the preaching of the word. Mm -hmm. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So how do you receive the grace of God? You hear the word and then you believe it. So the means of grace are just the ways that God... Spiritually uh, feeds us or helps us or changes us. So preaching is the primary one. Uh, Singing would be one. Prayer is a means of grace. Um, Baptism. Baptism is very powerful. It's a very powerful way for yourself and everyone to see and believe in Jesus. Same with the Lord's Supper. It doesn't do anything in in and of itself. It just points us to Christ in a special way. And that's where the faith comes, the, the grace of God. Yeah, so it's a, it needs to be more important. Yeah. Now, when you look back at Baptist history, um, go ahead, what were you going to say? I
0: was going to say, um, there's a reason it's a church ordinance, too, because it, it's made, it's been, in some er- circles, it's been made very individualistic, but it's a church ordinance for a purpose because it's not an individual ri- ritual.
1: Yeah. When Jesus gives it, he gives it in the presence of what would be the church, uh, his disciples, And then when we hear it brought up again, specifically, it's in first Corinthians 11, where Paul is speaking to the church and he's telling them all. So it's never here's how you as an individual deal with the Lord's Supper. It's here's how the church does. it. So Baptists have always believed it's a church ordinance. It's not an individual ordinance. So you don't take the Lord's Supper by yourself. Mm -hmm. You take it with the church because that's what the gospel is. The gospel says you are brought into the body of Christ by Christ. Um, so this is a big topic now with the coronavirus, and not so much now because people are kind of meeting again, but it was a few months ago. Can you take the Lord's Supper virtually? Everyone at their own home, live streaming it. And a lot of disagreement about that. I would say the, the traditional Baptist view, the tr- the any Baptist before, say, 100 years ago would have been confused that this was even a topic they couldn't have imagined doing a church ordinance without the church how can you be a church if you're not assembled the word church means assembly that's why Baptist that is distinctive would be that the church must assemble it can't be just the church everywhere so it's uh, now early Baptist history doesn't really mention it much and I think that's because it wasn't As important at that time to distinguish themselves from, from Protestants, but as they grow, so by 1689, um, it's very clear. So the 1689 confession has a long section on it and calls it a ordinance by the Lord only to be administered by qualified people, namely pastors to be done with the church by the members of the church. And so you see this pattern coming up that only baptized members should take the Lord's Supper. That's not a Baptist distinctive by itself, but it is the majority of Baptists, traditionally. Is that the only really confession I can find that says something different is the Free Will Baptist Confession of like, 48, I think, where it says that no one can be denied from the table. But almost all the other confessions, if they speak to the subject, they say that baptism is a prerequisite and that's for the members of the church. So 1689 London, uh, 1833 New Hampshire, Sandy Creek Confession, Philadelphia Confession. Because as Baptists, they kind of understood if you're not baptized, how can you take the Lord's Supper? Because the Lord's Supper is saying you're going to follow Christ, but you haven't been baptized and so, what's the Bible say? Uh, so, Baptist look to Matthew twenty-eight, where it says, "Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit." Then teaching them whatsoever I commanded you. And they, we have taken that as the order. You may come a disciple, you get converted, then you get baptized, and then everything else, including the Lord's Supper. And I think this is Paul's point in First Corinthians eleven. He makes a big deal out of calling it the Lord's Supper and not your supper. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the key here. It's not individualistic. So it's interesting the way he phrased it in, in first Corinthians, he says, when you gather together as a church, as an assembly, you're not at a church unless you're together, right? Cause church means assembly. The right. word literally means assembly. If you haven't assembled, you're not an assembly. He says when you to- gather together as an assembly, as a congregation, And he says, it's not to take the Lord's Supper. And what he's saying there, they were gathered to take the Lord's Supper. That was their goal. They gathered together to take the Lord's Supper. And he was saying, you're calling it the Lord's Supper. He goes, but you're not taking the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper, that's a possessive S. It, the Lord owns the Supper. It's his Supper. And he's saying, Paul is saying, Jesus said to do it this way. He said. Jesus said, when you take my supper, it's this way. Paul said, you're taking it your way. So you have not gathered to take the Lord's Supper. You've gathered to take your supper. And then he goes into the reasons why. And the main reason is division. Yeah. He said, it's not the Lord's Supper. Why? Because some of you eat before the other and you, you, know, you sort of step in front of others. You won't wait for anybody. There are divisions among you. He follows that up later in the chapter. So the number one way to make it not the Lord's Supper is to have division. Okay, so we go back to the coronavirus. What's more divisive than not being around each other? When he says, can you imagine Paul saying, when you don't gather together as a church, take the Lord's Supper. Now, he would say to us, when you don't gather together as a church, you're not taking the Lord's Supper. You can't. The Lord's Supper is a communion. Mm -hmm. It's a gathering where we gather together around that, like the disciples did, like the Church of Corinth does. Uh, How can you wait for one another if you're not even there? And so the communion is the gathering. No gathering, no communion. No gathering, no church. And no church, no ordinance. And so Baptists have believed that the ordinances are church ordinances, assembly ordinances. And so they require an assembly do you think that
0: things like this are a result of the emphasis on the eternal soul nature of humanity? You know, mm-hmm. we think about, cause I I even read a confession of faith for a church today. One of the former members was asking me to take a look at it because they, mm-hmm. you know, they'd moved and they were looking at another church and it's one of the th- points they had was that humans were made as eternal sp- spiritual beings. And I was like, um, okay. But we're also embodied spirits. We're not Yeah, that's the first half. Right. So I mean, so when we're in this now digital age that the Bible doesn't speak to, since we've emphasized humans being spiritual beings, which I don't think is a complete picture of how the Bible portrays humans. Right. Is that how we how people can easily make the next step into we can gather together spiritually to have the Lord's Supper together? Physically. Right.
1: Yeah, so this you hear the word Gnostic getting thrown around a lot. Mostly incorrectly, but Gnosticism, one of the basic beliefs was that there that the spirit was good, and the body was evil. So God created the spirit, but the physical was corrupt. And so the ultimate enlightenment was to leave your corrupt physical body behind, leave the evil body, go into the spirit. Which is reoccurring. Like that's a reoccurring problem, and I think that is part of the problem. It's the spiritual stuff matters; the physical stuff doesn't so the lord's supper is such a physical thing right Mm -hmm. that modern people baptists are like well if it's physical it doesn't matter it doesn't matter where you meet it doesn't matter how you meet all that matters is that you spiritually connect but the bible doesn't say that at all in fact it makes a point of physically gathering it makes a point of having physical bread physical juice in fact the catholics for a long time withheld the cup from the people they would only let them eat the bread and i would say part of that is there's no need for them to physically take the cup as long as they're spiritually present. and so that's heresy to withhold part of the lord's supper from the people who it was it was for. yeah so if if as long as you're spiritually connecting you don't have to physically connect would deny the importance of the body. Right. the physical body. which would also deny the need for jesus to have a physical body. what's the point of him suffering physically if it's just a, why couldn't he suffer spiritually? Right? Why do you have to suffer physically? And he goes even deeper. Why did he need to be raised physically? Like Baptists have always believed that Jesus was bodily raised from the grave. Right. Why is that so important? Because the body is necessary for salvation. So if his body was necessary for salvation, then our bodies will be saved. Uh, that's the whole point of salvation is that everything will be saved. Yes, our spirit will be saved, but so will our body. So when you get to heaven, it's not disembodied spirits floating around. It's people of every tribe, tongue, nation. In other words, physical characteristics yeah. have been taken yeah. into heaven. But if you did, if you, if you look down on the body, the, the body is, is corrupt and evil. And we need to rise above the body to the spirit world. Then physically gathering for the Lord's Supper is irrelevant as long as you're spiritually gathered. I think that, I think Paul, he didn't have the digital age, but he did have communication. So imagine if he had written in the letter to the Corinthians, at noon on Sunday, everyone in their houses take the Lord's Supper while reading this letter. That would be the equivalent of a digital connection. So when he's speaking about the Lord's Supper specifically, he doesn't say do it at the same time. He says when you gather as a church, that's when you take the Lord's Supper. And then he makes a distinction uh, even further. If you're hungry eat at home and then come to the Lord's Supper. Make it very clear. There's a difference between what you eat at home and what you eat together. So just because you can see other people eating it, I imagine two people in their houses looking out the window at each other. Like that was a possibility for Paul, but he didn't bring it up because it didn't make sense. The Lord's Supper is a ritual that physically shows what happens. And us being in our own houses by ourselves is not the gospel. That's not the hope of Christianity. The hope of Christianity is that we will be together in peace. Now, we're introverts, so staying at home sounds great. The gospel will save us from that, the the awkwardness, the, the stress of communion with other people. So you can't take the Lord's Supper by yourself. You can't take the Lord's Supper while watching people online take it. It's not the Lord's Supper. And that doesn't mean, and we have friends, we have people listening to this podcast who probably did that. Actually, I know they will. It's not heresy. It's not undermining the, the faith of, you know, once given. It's just not biblical and it's not Baptist. And it does diminish what the Lord's Supper was given to us to do, which was unite us around Christ. So you can't take the Lord's Supper at home. You can't baptize yourself home. You can't have church by yourself. You have to have other Christians to do those things you have to gather and so that's been the traditional Baptist view
0: during this time there are you know there's understanding for if you aren't able to join it's better to watch a live stream of your local church than to not do anything right. so there are allowances for yeah being hindered
1: yeah it I think maybe the good um, the good motives behind it good intentions are the Lord's Supper does make us remember the gospel. Yeah. And we want to we want to do that. Just like we want to be with each other. We can't, so we're gonna do the best we can with a live stream or Zoom or, or something like that. So it's not there's no I don't think there's any bad intentions behind it. It's just trying to get something from a specific ceremony, but not doing it God's way. And that's it's just not what I think it, Paul's explanation. When you gather to take the Lord's Supper, it's not the Lord's Supper. So when you're at home thinking about Jesus, thinking about his sacrifice, eating a piece of bread, that's fine. It's just not the Lord's Supper. So do it. Like eat some food and think about Jesus by yourself on Sunday morning. Go for it. Like that's a great thing to do. Uh, It will help you. It will encourage you. Just don't call it the Lord's Supper. Call it a uh, Christian supper or something, an encouraging supper, uh, something like that. Because we we just need to, to do things the biblical way. And it's because we live in a sinful world that we can't have it the way it should be. Um, and even when we gather as a church, it's still not as good as it should be. I mean, let's be honest. Church is not heaven. And there's plenty of times when we go to church and we're like, I don't... I'm not very encouraged by this. The Bible says we're supposed to be encouraged, but I'm not. Yep. That's what it means to live in a sinful world with sinful people. And... The only thing worse than not having than having a bad church is having no church. Right. <laughs> so that's where we are right now. Uh, but of course we want to strive to be better. So yeah, it's it's doing things the way God prescribes them is the best way even if it means not doing them at all because we can't do them God's way. So baptism without water is not baptism. Even in, and so if you live in the desert and for some reason there's no water around, you can't be baptized. You can't bury yourself in the sand. You just just have to wait for baptism. And because we're Baptist and we don't believe that there's any grace imparted by the Lord's Supper, we're not losing Christ by not taking it. That is what the Catholics believe, that you're actually saved by the taking of it. Baptists don't believe that. So if we miss it, it's maybe discouraging, but we still have just as much of Jesus with the Lord's Supper as without the Lord's Supper. And we don't need that. Uh, So it's an encouragement to be more biblical, even if it means waiting on some things. So
0: uh, thinking about the physicality of the Lord's Supper, do you think the type of elements could help better Mm -hmm. or worse portray the picture of the Lord's Supper?
1: Yeah. So first, because this is a debate, what's the Bible say? If we look at what it says, it says two things, bread and fruit of the vine which we know to mean grape juice, fruit of a grapevine. So if we're biblical, if we're, you know, biblical authority, so what Baptists believe, what's required for the Lord's Supper? A piece of bread and some product of grapevine. Which means you don't have to have unleavened bread. And I think this is a debate because did Jesus have unleavened bread at the Lord's Supper? And the answer is probably yes, because he was taking Passover. So I think if you have unleavened bread, and I think we actually do have unleavened bread um, when we take it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not required. And then the same with wine. Some churches have wine because they believe that Jesus would have had wine in the Passover, so on and so forth. I think the freedom is, if you want to use wine for the Lord's Supper, go for it. If you want to use grape juice, go for it. The Bible doesn't specify, just like it doesn't specify unleavened bread or not. And the argument is, well, unleavened bread shows that there's no sin present. Like, yes, but that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say the Lord's Supper has unleavened bread. I think it's a wisdom thing. Since the Bible doesn't specify, the question is, what can help us do, what can help us see what the Bible wants us to see? And what does the Bible want us to see? That Christ physically suffered that we are united physically with him and with each other. Unified physically with Christ. So that means you do have to eat the bread. <laughs> you have to drink the juice. You can't just hold it, you know, put it in your pocket or whatever. You ingest it, so that's a symbol. It does say this bread which is broken for you. So if you don't break the bread, I think you miss the picture. And I think yeah. you miss the biblical example.
0: It's one bread that's broken and one cup.
1: That's shared. Yeah. <laughs> that's shared. So as a
0: germaphobe.
1: <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. So I still. The symbolism is we, though many are one, because we also take a, that one bread. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the yeah. argument could be made
0: that the best picture would be instead of the individual crackers and individual tiny right. cups, it would be a loaf yes. of bread that was broken and a shared yes.
1: cup. For the ritual symbolism. It looks if – if you think about the image of Christ, a bunch of little crackers and a bunch of little cups is weird. As if Christ were partitioned in these tiny little isolated, individually wrapped – I mean, isn't that the problem with American Christianity? It's like right. individually wrapped Christianity where everyone does their own thing separately. The Lord's Supper is the opposite of that. So when you take – and I've participated in a few services where you take one bread, you tear off a piece – Tearing bread is when you're thinking of someone being injured, that's a pretty graphic symbol. But the idea is like we all got, we all came from that same loaf.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you take the little crackers, you don't know where they came from. They could have come from two different packages, two different countries. There's no unity between those crackers. Uh, when you see it's one loaf, that's a symbol. Christ is the one loaf. We are pieces of that. Uh, one cup, same thing. How many? bloods are there there's one blood mm-hmm. right Jesus had one blood sacrifice we partake of that one sacrifice so yes the traditional and biblical way would probably be closer to one loaf of bread one cup that everyone shares
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll go first with the cup
1: <laughs> if, if that was going to happen I think the coronavirus just set that back a few years <laughs> well traditionally what happened was you would tear off the piece of bread so everybody wasn't touching the bread. You would get a piece of it, and then I think a lot of them would dip it into the cup. So that's one way. It's a tinction, right? Which is is more sanitary in the sense that no one's touching the the juice; just the bread touches it. Um, yeah, but but I not, think the mo- it says as often as you drink
0: it, not as often as you eat soppy waffle bread. That
1: would miss it. Yeah. So the more traditional way would everyone would share one cup.
0: So, so my proposed midway solution. <laughs> it's like a punch bowl because everybody's okay. getting the grape the juice from the same source.
1: So, so it's like it one you know cup,
0: but you get your own cup, but from the same I source. I mean,
1: honestly, that's not that's not terrible. That's not a terrible idea. <laughs> the symbolism there being you can see it's one bowl and we all partake of that one bowl without having. to So traditionally it was a gold or silver cup, which is a natural antibiotic. And then you would wipe the cup and it
0: was it was alcoholic wine and it was alcoholic wine which is an antibacterial
1: which would would kill things so i read somewhere that they never traced a single outbreak of sickness to the lord's supper um and they had quite a few back then Especially Mm -hmm. in the middle ages it was a regular occurrence they never could trace it it was because of these precautions um gold cup like if you go to the cvs right now you can get band-aids with silver in them as an antibiotic and so a silver or gold cup is an antibiotic, antibiotic um, alcohol and then wipe the cup. It's just one of those cultural things where we have to admit that our culture is, has undue influence on us. And just accept it and try to be better and do the best we can. But also, yeah, there needs to be progress towards the basic elements of the Lord's Supper, the symbolism. And what I've seen a lot of Baptist church does not match the symbolism. Everybody's heads are bowed. No one's looking around. It's very individualistic. It's your own private time with Jesus. And that's the opposite. I think we tell our church, look up, look around, watch people take the Lord's Supper. The elders stand at the front of the church and watch people take it. It's communion. We're all part of the same family. And it's a symbol; it's an outward expression that we are one church, which brings up the who should take the Lord's Supper. So I'll say this: Baptist church traditionally doesn't have one position, but it does have a majority position, and the majority position is, like we said before, baptized and members of the church.
0: Now be the closed
1: communion. So. Or some, close, of, some of them lay out specifically members of that, that church Right. others like the 1833 New Hampshire say members of the church which can be interpreted to mean was members the, of some church Was
0: church capitalized somewhere. or lowercase so
1: it's lowercase and it doesn't tell you which church they have to be members of so you can interpret that to be any church not the one where you're taking it so the three positions open communion which is anybody anywhere shows up, says their believer can take it. Some Baptists have held that free will. Baptists, I believe hold that it's a minority position, but it's, it's still Baptist. If you're, if you do open communion, you're still a Baptist. And for most of history, the other position was closed communion, which is only members of that church because of the symbolism. Who was the, who was the Lord's supper given to? It was given to the church who takes the Lord's supper followers of Christ. What's Paul say? Who have no division. Well, if they're not members of your church, how do you know if they're followers of Christ who've been baptized and who have no division? And so the closed communion position says, you are telling everybody, when you give that ordinance to that person, you're telling everybody they're a Christian and they're a part of the church. A church. How do you know? If they're not a part of your church, how do you know they're a member in good standing of any church? You have to trust their word. And that's what some churches do. And that's what we call close communion. It's where you trust the word of the person that they are a member of good standing with no evidence. You know, that's what nine Mark's churches do. Generally, that's what Mark Dever does. He basically, he he said himself, he said he abdicates responsibility to another church. And you're a Baptist if you do that. I just don't see why you should be abdicating responsibility of your own ordinance. The church is, as elders, we're giving out the Lord's Supper and we're taking some other church, we don't know, taking their word for it. It's our responsibility. You can't just be like, well, I don't want to take responsibility because it's, I don't know. And there's there's obviously good reasons there. You don't want to deny someone who is a believer and have done all the right things. They've been baptized. They're a member of a church. They just have to be on vacation. And you're telling them, simply because you're on vacation, you can't take the Lord's Supper. Everything else is the same. So I get I get the motivation there. And honestly, our church is doing closed communion now. So
0: I would say also that if you are, are on vacation, would mm-hmm. you want to take a symbol of unity with a church you just randomly picked out of the phone book?
1: Exactly. You know, At best, you know them occasionally from a few visits.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this you is know, obviously different not. than if it's like you're father's church that you're visiting or something you know a church right. that you're more familiar with
1: right. yeah so the point of the lord's supper is you only let people take it who should take it and that's what baptists have always believed that there's some sort of fence around the table you don't let people who are not believers take the lord's supper that doesn't make any sense well, how do you know they're a believer unless you've observed their life professions of faith are a dime a dozen especially in america I do not trust anyone who says they're a Christian based on that confession. Like, okay. There's a lot of people who say they're Christians who have no evidence. The Bible doesn't teach anyone to believe that you're a Christian because you say so. You, you're known as a Christian because of your fruits, specifically your love for one another and then the fruits of the, of the Spirit. Well, how do you know if someone has fruit, the Spirit, and love unless you watch their life, which is what a church membership does. So letting someone show up from another church, and Deborah's right, you have to take the word of that person and that other church that they are a Christian. Which, okay, as a Baptist, you're allowed to do that. It's just inconsistent with the idea that the Lord's Supper is a communion among like-minded believers. When a visitor shows up, you can't know if you're like-minded because you met them 15 minutes before the service. I want to see a couple months, at least, <laughs> Christian living before I trust I think closed communion is its probably more prominently the Baptist position historically, but by no means the exclusive. And I would say at this time in history, most Baptist churches are closed communion. Almost all of them, I would say. This is where Baptists can disagree. The distinctive being we don't let unbelievers take it. That's the Baptist distinctive. No unbeliever can take the Lord's Supper. So a child, a baby can't take the Lord's Supper, just like a baby can't be baptized. And the traditional position is really you can't take it unless you've been baptized, so there's some disagreement on that. But the idea that no unbeliever can take it because the church can't let unbelievers into the fellowship. There has to be a distinction between believer and unbeliever, and the Lord's Supper is the number one distinction. Which is when church discipline comes into play, what do we do we do with someone who's been openly sinful and will not repent? We excommunicate them. That's not a Catholic word. It means you do not let them take the communion, the Lord's Supper. Because when you take the Lord's Supper, when you drink the juice and you eat the bread, everyone around you says the church is saying that person is a believer. They put their stamp of approval on that person by letting them take the Lord's Supper, the outward symbol of, of an oath to Christ. So when someone says, I'm not a Christian, whether by words or by behavior, when they come to take the Lord's Supper, we say No. This is only for believers. And that allows a member of the church. Well, then you sinned and wouldn't repent. And so now you can't take it. We're removing the mark of fellowship from you. You're no longer part of the communion because you will not repent of sins. The only people that take the Lord's Supper are those who repent and believe. And if you refuse to repent, you're excommunicated. And so the Lord's Supper is very important to tell who's in the church, who's following Christ. Who does the church say is in the church and so when you take it once a year you lose that symbolism when you make it an individualistic thing you lose that symbolism and when you let unbelievers take it you certainly destroy the symbolism so i think baptists need to need to access their own history and be more serious about it it is a gospel issue christ specifically said to do it so sort of when you think of like people's last thing they do before they die it's the most important things So Jesus says, okay, I'm about to die tomorrow. Let's get some things straight before I go. And the Lord's Supper was one of those things. And so we should take it with equal seriousness. And it's not a funeral ceremony either. It's to remember his death, but also to till he returns. It can be both. It can be a remembrance, a solemn remembrance, and sort of a joyous celebration. And I think we should sort of vary that up. Yeah, and also the way we take it. um, Instead of everyone sitting in their pews and handing it out, Like we just did recently, everyone comes up to the front and takes it. Whatever works for your church to get the message across that we're all in this together because Christ died for all of us and this is our church. It needs to be recovered. Don't let some heretics over at the Catholic Church take away what Jesus gave us (laughs) because that's what's happened. We've let some false believers, the false church, right, the Church of Babylon, Take away the Lord's Supper. If it's the Lord's Supper, the Catholics aren't going to be able to take it. So let's let's be Bible believers and celebrate what God has given us and do it the way He said it. And I think it will spiritually like like they said, it'll spiritually feed us. So we'll feed on Christ's sacrifice.
0: Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at com or message us on Twitter at History and Hope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice.